Hello once again, and welcome back to the TetraCast. This is RPG Sites' weekly podcast, where we get the site staff together to talk about our favorite genre of video games. My name's Brian Vitale, and I have most of the usual crew here today. Uh, Adam can't make it, but everyone else is here. Let's go through them. We have Josh Torres. Hi, hi. We have James Galizio. Hey, folks. And we have finally located uh, Mr. George Foster. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> Welcome back, George. Uh, Glad how to be has, here. How has your time been with uh, a certain prediction that we made since the last time? <gasps> <laughs> I can't even begin uh, to describe how amazing he is. Well, how we will. Amazing. We will. <laughs> We will go into your magical experience playing as Sora in Smash Brothers Ultimate uh, in a bit, but I am still a bit like just pleased that we. That we yeah, are, me too. We, I we mean, uh, I, I always believed that George was like, no, he was like a doomsayer for his favorite character. I'm like, George, it's gonna happen. And he's like, no, I still don't believe it. I still don't believe it. He's my icon. Yeah. He is. I, I play as him literally any time. I'm literally only ever thinking about Sora and Smash at the moment and I still don't believe it's real. So I'm I'm right there still. So looking at the uh, outline of our discussion today, it seems like the theme here is going to be uh I hope you're looking forward to next year because we've talked about on the last few podcasts <laughs> on how every single year and this year included that the Q1 of the, the upcoming release schedule always ends up looking like incredibly packed and i kind of always waved it away and just say like oh it happens every year but i guess it's maybe even worse this year due to what has transpired over 2020 and 2021 because we've got delays we've got some new announcements we've got some next gen stuff that are all landing like in the february 2022 window and we will go through those uh we do have a few games that are coming out up in the next week that we have kind of been uh waiting for including Super Robot Wars, which we've talked about a bunch of times. We've got uh, the Undernauts and Yomi game, or whatever it's called now. It has the two different names in Japanese and English. <laughs> uh, we've got a couple other games that are releasing in late October. We've got, obviously, the big hitters coming up after that, like Shin Megami Tensei. Uh, so that will be the kind of the theme for the evening, or whatever time it is we're recording this or you're listening to this. Before we go into that, though, we're going to talk about games we've been playing. And finally, for like the first time in like three months, I am able to contribute to this conversation because <laughs> oh, I have the, the journey have, is over. Yes, I have. It's I have finally finished uh, Pathfinder Wrath of the Righteous, yeah, a video game. So, yes. Um, <laughs> so in early September, Pathfinder Wrath of the Righteous released. Now, this is a game that is an RPG through and through for sure. But it's kind of the sort of RPG that our site doesn't focus on pretty often. We've got a few people that play these sorts of games, but it's never really been uh, the centerpiece of our coverage. But I really enjoyed Kingmaker, Pathfinder Kingmaker, which released a few years ago. And this was a pretty quick follow-up uh, because a lot of the other studios that had, re that had released games like Divinity Original Sin 2 and Deadfire back in the late 2010s. Like they're not making like I guess Baldur's Gate three is still in development, but Pathfinder: Wrath of the Righteous had released, and it took. First of all, it's a massive, massive game. It took me a hundred and twelve hours to beat, which is unheard of for RPGs. Like a lot of the um, Kiseki games end up, at least recently, end up running up there as well. But uh, in terms of 
my life having to uh, mm-hmm. get moved into a new house, having to put the game down. It had a lot of bugs. So I had to wait for some patches. We're only getting older. And the less free time <laughs> we have, the lo- the older we get until we retire, then we'll have free time again. Oh, yeah. When this yeah. Is still so before, clearly- you, before you go into it, Brian, I have two two comments. One, oh, my God, a game can be that long. I hate it. I hate it so very much. And two, uh, pretend I'm an idiot. What is Pathfinder? Okay. Give me, give so- me like... I will. I, first of all, I, I am not an expert, but I've played the two video games. That is my level of expertise. I played right. Kingmaker. Two video games. Well, I've played Kingmaker through <laughs> twice, and then I've played, obviously, Wrath of the Righteous through once. So Pathfinder is a pen and paper tabletop game that is splintered off of, I believe, Dungeons & Dragons 3.5. So roughly like 15 years ago or so. Uh, and so it has the very same feeling as like, Baldur's Gate, Icewind Dale, things like that. Um, and Owlcat is a Russian studio. This is the only two games that they've developed, as far as I know, is Kingmaker in 2018 and Pathfinder Wrath of the Righteous Now, where this is basically adapting the pen and paper game for uh, a video game you know, format. And sometimes when you do that, you do have to like shift some rules, things that make sense in pen and paper don't make sense in a video game, things like that. And certain people feel very strongly about like how faithful it is or how much liberty they take. And I can't really speak to the pen and paper game, so I don't really know. But it does, if, if you've played Baldur's Gate, if you've played Pillars of Eternity, uh, or if you've played any of those like other homages. Are we, talking, are we talking real time with pause or actual turn-based? A real time with pause. Well, okay. That, that's actually a component of this game. So uh, first of all, let me just go through like the general premise. So the general premise is that uh, a mysterious otherworldly rift is basically centered on one of the continents of the planet of Galarian. I forget what the continent's name is. Um, this rift is called the World Wound. It is basically a place where the demon world of the abyss and the human world intersect. So it basically, it allows people to move freely. Well, maybe not freely, but it gives an avenue for people to move from one to the other. Then in the history of this world, there have been several crusades, obviously borrowing from the idea of real life crusades, where crusaders will then embark on quests and journeys to try to push back the demon horde and close the rift. But none of them have succeeded. And this is basically the the timeline of this game is the final crusade that finally does close the rift. And you end up playing as the commander of the fifth crusade. That's that's your player character. So it is a real time with pause Baldur's Gate RPG where you choose like a set of six party members and they have like a ton of classes, you know, your typical like paladin or a ranger but then also like a bunch of pathfinder specific ones like like ranger and cavalier and or whatever it's a lot it's like 25 it's like 25 classes right yeah it's so when 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 i opened this game up and i got to the character's creation which is the first thing you do in any of these games i had played kingmaker twice so and other people who had played maybe the tabletop game might not have like a sense of information overload but i sure did because it's like do I want to play a caster? Do I want to play a, a fighter? And not, but like, even if you like narrow it down that much, you end up having like, all right, so you want to play a caster? You still have 18 options to choose from or whatever. Or you want to wield a great sword? You still have at least seven options to choose from. Um, and then if people are, if you're really into like min maxing or making like a super efficient build, you have to start thinking about like, you can multi-class in like crazy ways. And I've seen some builds where it's like, you should take one level of Ranger and then two levels of Paladin and then three levels of 
Hell Knight and then go into prestige classes. And I'm just like, I'm going to just pick one and stick with it. Uh, so yeah. I, yeah. I ended up picking uh, Cavalier. And Cavalier is kind of like a melee fighting class that is more focused on supporting the party. They like they share combat feats and stances and things like that. So they do melee damage, but they're not just they're more about like anchoring the team rather than just DPS or Okay. damage damage per round i guess now i've always preferred these games with real time with pause to me that's just it allows you to have kind of heuristics for i know how to buff my party i know where to position my characters i don't need to micromanage every single thing like for instance uh in kingmaker and in wrath of the righteous some of the easiest classes that I've found to build are any archers, so rangers or bow using monks or anything that uses a, a long bow, really, because there are so many ways to like augment how much damage you do and your chance to hit. So I would always have like two NPCs just standing in the back of the of the group, just completely like nailing and murdering down all the weak enemy mobs where Wrath of the Righteous does have a turn based mode. It's actually built off of a Kingmaker mod that they've sort of like blessed and kind of canonized, like made semi official. And I love I love turn based games like I Fire Emblem, uh, the Final Fantasy Tactics games. I even kind of like when games like Final Fantasy S7 Remake, it's not a turn based game, but you can sort of see how they use that same sort of inspiration to design how their combat flows. So on paper, this ended up sounding like, oh, it has a turn-based toggle that I can select at any point. You can you can shift into it or shift out of it. But what happens is that the game is so clearly designed for a real-time where if you do any combat encounter in turn-based, it ends up feeling like eight times as slow as it should have. Where if you run into a room and there's like six little demons and two mini-bosses in the back, if you're playing real-time with pause... You just kind of like position your characters in a semi-careful manner, get your tank out in front, get your damage dealers in back. And the the fight is probably order, over in like maybe 45 seconds. And maybe you'll fail, maybe you die, and then you just kind of like reload and shift your approach or whatever. But if you're in turn-based mode, it ends up taking literally like 15 minutes to go, okay, I should be careful how I use literally. It ends up taking significantly longer to do the same stuff. And I told you, this game already took me over 100 hours. I am scared to know what someone's playtime would be if they were diligent enough or like determined enough to play through the whole thing in turn-based because I could easily see that being like 250, 300 hours because the game, I just feel like, wasn't <laughs> designed for it. Um, maybe okay, so you... I, have, I, have, I have a question. So, you know, this game is already really long as it is, but... If if a person a new person wants to get into it, then like they're because they're a bit itchy for that. Do they have to play the previous Pathfinder first? No, it's uh, okay. they take place around the same time, and there are a few characters that sort of cross over, but it's in a different part of the world. It doesn't really tie into it. Like the the crossovers that there are is more like. Gee whiz, you remember this guy, right? Or or they'll or they'll have like a, a line where they where they where they reference the events of the previous game but the story is completely divorced um and one thing that kingmaker sort of did is that it had and i kind of i've I've been drafting my review for this game and it'll probably go up at some point next week and despite these two games not really being sequels to each other they're they're more just like two games that take place in the same universe it's really hard to talk about one without comparing it to the other 
because Kingmaker was designed, the part of its name, Kingmaker, is that not only is it a uh, a classic CRPG styled game, but it also has like secondary gameplay mechanics where you are building a fledgling kingdom in a foreign land where you have to manage like resources and economy and your military and you have to make decisions about like what your new kingdom is going to focus on and there's like this world map and you start creating little outposts and forts so it's like a game within a game sort of thing and like more elements in it almost yeah and my impression when i played that game it's like no this is fine but i just don't feel like it adds anything i kind of wish i could just like pull that out of there and just just leave the rpg remaining because a lot of the other stuff just felt like it didn't really elevate the rest of the game it just felt unneeded unnecessary and then so sort of like that game that we talked about a couple of weeks ago that our theme music comes from right terranigma yeah kind of um yeah yes (laughs) reminds me of when george was like i'm just proud i remembered that i'm just proud that i remembered like anything like that (laughs) <laughs> I, on. you could, you could remember the name but you're like yeah it's like that <laughs> but um so in wrath of the righteous uh, my or i i can't speak for everyone and painting everyone with, with a single brush is improper but it just seems like the general consensus was that no one really took to the kingmaker sort of management stuff that well like at best you were fine with it at worst, you thought it was really a distraction and you just kind of like set it to super easy mode and automate it. And by the way, I should mention that maybe turn-based mode would be better if you like deliberately turn the difficulty down so there was fewer enemies. But I didn't. I just set it to real time and didn't look back. Um, but for the but then for Wrath of the Righteous, even though it it's no it's got a different premise. It's got the premise about these leading these crusades. So there is no kingdom management to deal with, right? Well, they still sort of like brought those elements over and they just kind of tweaked how they're implemented. So now instead of managing kingdoms, you manage crusader armies. So you have your normal party where you have very classic WRPG where there's like 12 or so. It depends on your alignment and, all, and your choices in the game, how many you get. You get 12 or so companions. Certain certain ones have d- different dispositions. They all have their own story. Um, but then also you can tug toggle over into your generic army management where you lead like soldiers and archers and cavaliers uh, across the world map and they're and they run into uh demon armies and then it has this whole other gameplay mode where if you lead your army up against a demon fort you end up having to like have a overhead grid based turn based in this specific context battle where you have to lead your crusade armies not your party just your generic armies against generic enemy demon mooks or whatever and i've heard it compared to heroes of might and magic which is a series i've never played but i started looking at some gameplay footage as i was like writing the review and it's basically the same thing so if you've played heroes of might and magic uh, overhead uh grid view turn-based sort of uh you have a commander on your side and the enemy might have a general on their side and it's a game within a game again they've just kind of shifted how it's implemented but how uh how customizable can you like affect the outcomes of these like are you actually have like a lot of minutiae with the customizing like your crusade armies and whatnot to affect the outcome or is it kind of like it's you do well i i feel like it's kind of the intent was that you would 
uh, have a lot of say in how your eventual like composition of your armies turned out. Because you start out with like some very basic units, but then as you support other factions, like early in the game, you get a, a, a character who is a class called a Hell Knight on your team. Um, and then if you help them out, you can end up getting Hell Knights, generic ones, to recruit for your Crusader armies. And they're pretty good, they're pretty good units. And then eventually you end up uh, I haven't even talked about the mythic path system yet, but eventually you'll you'll like uh, very generically you'll choose kind of like a deity or a sort of like magical inclination that your character has, uh, and that that might affect whether you can get like dragons on your team or or nymphs or elves or demons on, of your on your own side. So the intent was to sort of see like based on the person the role that you end up making your character make, you would have th- that sort of be reflected in your armies. But here, I'll give you one really short anecdote. Late in the game, I don't know if this was like a rare quest or something I just lucked into, but I ended up being able to get silver dragons on my team. I'm like, oh, fuck yeah, I get silver dragons in my crusade army. (laughs) But I learned that they were so weak that my my regular like archers that you get like for free every like every seven in-game days or whatever would overpower basically anything. So like early on, I had this strat where basically my general would effectively have like a, a, a stun shout where he would stun all the enemies. And then I would just have archers like pick everyone off. Like by hour number 10, that's what that was my what my strategy was. And by what hour number 100, that's what my strategy was. So long story short, it just got, it started out as like a curiosity, like, oh, okay, I'm, I'm going to keep an open mind. This this different uh, format of game is, um, you know, I'll, I'll try it. I'll, I'll try to at least give it a fair shake. But then eventually I was like, oh, God, like I'm in a new chapter and now there's more demons to take care of at the map. I have to go back to fucking crusade mode. Blah. So I ended up not really feeling very strongly about it at all. And it ended up becoming a chore really, really fast. Okay. Um, and so I ended up basically arriving at the same place that Kingmaker did where I'm just like, I will talk about the rest of the RPG because as a as a like the the normal quote unquote part of the game part of the game is actually really good and i highly recommend it especially if you're a fan of these sorts of games i'm chances are if you are you've already been playing this but um i i, it, I used to play a lot of like you know Baldur's gate icewind dale type of crp crpgs but i just you know this one just like there there are the, the, the massive the massive yeah the massive amount of time is like i i want to get to this and now that my pc is like really good like it's something that's on my radar now that like i can actually like, you know run it Mm-hmm. fairly well if i if i were to get into it like it, the, the more the more i hear about this game the more i'm like very interested it's just like i need to find the block of time yeah to do it. it's just basically i feel that both kingmaker and wrath of the righteous took like this kitchen sink approach where they're like let's have army management let's have like world map like where you build up forts and cr- use resources to create buildings and and then let's uh I'm just kind of like, I kind of feel like less would be more. Like, if you just pulled that out of the game and didn't change anything else, I feel like I would almost rate the game higher just because it's like less distractions. Like, just because it's, it reminds me of a stupid pro ZD skit where it's like games that think more mechanics equals more fun or whatever. <laughs> and I'm like, this is like, this is like the poster boy for like, no, stop, please just you find an editor. And maybe, maybe there's someone out there that uh, really, really enjoyed that part of the game and, you know more power to you but i just felt like i i would i would look at the crusade stuff as being like let me get through this so i can get back to the part of the game i actually want to play um yeah that that's uh that's kind of a weird like i wonder 
how much how many hours do you think it would cut if they like they just didn't do that crusade micromanagement part of the game or management part of the game rather probably the game would still be long but probably like a fourth of the playtime. That's, that seems more like you know at least digestible. <laughs> yeah, because now just like the whole twenty five percent of the game is like something that you were really you didn't really engage with like after all of a sudden. I like, remember oh. when I so this game is divided into five acts, and uh, when I got to the fifth act, and there was like twenty little demon army. So when you're on the world map, your army is like represented by like almost like game pieces, like a board game, and so are little demon armies. It's, it's and. Uh, it's a kind of it's a nice aesthetic. I kind of like how that's how they decided to represent it. But there's like 20 little demon dudes like just sitting. Oh, God damn. I got to like clear all these out before I can get back to the is game. The, is there a penalty to like just not engaging with that mode? Well, the thing is, is that uh, you, you do need to engage in that mode a bit because there will be like demon forts that will prevent your actual party from getting to certain areas on the map. So if you want to do all the questing or whatever, you have to clear them out, though. I also there's probably areas where I could have not done as much as I did where like I cleared out every demon on the map or maybe I didn't have to but you you do have to you can't just ignore it fully and the thing is okay. is that there is a way to sort of automate it where you'll just run your unit into another enemy unit in battle and it will just automatically determine the the outcome Oh, it's like an auto resolve like in a total war game Yeah but what happens is that when I whenever I tried that like I would do an auto outcome and be like, you win, but you lost half your units. I'm like, ah, oh, yeah. me, and, and then <laughs> yeah. I'm just like, all right, let me just do it myself and use my shitty archer stun strategy and clear the, clear the battle losing none of my units. So like even the auto resolve didn't uh, gain me anything. All right, I want to talk about the real game now. So okay. yeah. real game, the actual good game. <laughs> so this game is very long, <laughs> as I said, but it does have so... Kingmaker, again, it's kind of inevitable they have to compare these, or maybe that's just the best way I can put it into context. Kingmaker had a series of, I believe, seven acts, where each of the acts, at least in the first part of the game, was kind of like a separate chapter. It took place in the same setting involving the same characters, but the focus would clearly shift. Like early on, one of the earliest acts in Kingmaker is basically your kingdom is besieged by a threat of trolls. And then later it's undead and then eventually barbarians move into the region and you have to deal with them and then the game eventually sort of ties it together at the end it ends up kind of coalescing up, like it ends up feeling disparate to begin with but then coming together but by the finale wrath of the righteous is a little bit more contiguous where it feels more standard where all the chapters flow into each other in a more like linear fashion so it's a little bit more i think i like that approach a bit better but it does still like each act is like 15 or 20 hours depending on how slow you are and how thorough you are and the game has this habit of really changing what the game's fundamental like framework is for each act in act one you are in the city of canabras where basically it's a it's a fort city that's besieged by demons and the whole part of the whole play style of the act is you just going through the city to retake the, the market square and the and the city hall and dealing and finding your basically that's where you meet all your companions because it's well not all of them but most of them because it's early in the game and things like that and you're sort of you're sort of just acclimating to the setting then in act two remember this is like 15 hours at least 10 hours into the game at this point you're finally introduced to the world map and the crusade battles so like the way that it doles out <laughs> gameplay stuff is at a very slow pace and then in act two uh, and I'll, I'll speak more generically the further I get for anyone who's concerned about spoilers, if you are. In Act 2, it ends up being like, here's the world map. Your destination is to go here. 
and complete the objective here across the map. And of course, on the way, you can get sidetracked and do side quests and things like that. Then in Act 3, it finally introduces your crusade management mode where you end up having like a council of like a military advisors and it adds even more gameplay elements. And that's when you can start building forts. And remember, this is like 35 hours into the game. So the game is still like teaching you stuff many hours into the game. And then here's my favorite part. In Act 4, it drops all of it. It ends up basically saying, you don't need to worry about any of this stuff for, for this part of the game. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like, why? Okay, that, uh, it's interesting. Uh, it's, it's, it's enough to kind of keep it fresh. But it's just the pacing is just different from other games where I've that I've played where I'm thinking like of something like Fire Emblem, where you get the monastery early and it just carries throughout the whole game where uh, imagine if like that game, I don't know why I'm using that as my comparison, had like a series of chapters, like 10 in a row where you had no monastery to deal with. Like it just changes the, how it, how the entire game felt for like a, a good chunk of the game. And then by the game's final act, it throws you back on the world map and says, no, never mind. You have to deal with this crusade crap again. And I'm like, God damn it. <laughs> So, <laughs> uh, you on your toes. But yeah, it's it very deliberately like changes the framework of what you're responsible for, what you have to take care of, at a very slow pace. Because remember, each act is at least ten hours if you're if you're fast. I will give it. I'll give. I will give it one piece of credit that I thought was actually kind of inspiring. So I, I know I'm just numbering off a bunch of acts here, but once you once you're introduced to the crusade management. You end up building up your armies, blah, 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 all the stuff I said before. And then you go into the part of the game where you have you don't have access to them. Like, you don't have to worry about them. Uh, the story reason for that is because you go into the abyss, which makes sense. Like, if that's, if the premise of the game is to close this world wound, that, that this planar rift to the abyss, you end up going to there. Then when you return to the world, basically, it says, like, all the stuff that you did previously is no longer valid. We've taken it away from you. And it's like, it's legitimately frustrating. It's like, but I build up all my armies. I like, I was in a good spot and you took that away. But I actually kind of thought that that was a really smart implementation of having the gameplay and the story really tethered together where it's like, we are selling you the idea that this crusade is draining, that like your, your armies are losing, that you have to turn this around because we've, we've returned you to the world map and now things have gone to shit. And I actually kind of thought that that was really like, this is frustrating, but I'm actually okay with it because it kind of inspires the story and it kind of, it makes sense. Um, like, nah. yeah, yeah, that's, that's a kind of a good example where it's, 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 it's using the framework of this is a video game to sell like the idea that time has passed and things have gone to shit rather than just saying like, oh, you're back at the world map, all the armies that you made, you know, a year in game ago are still fine and you just get you just we don't we don't want to inconvenience the player so we'll just give you all the stuff back um so i actually thought that that was really kind of inspired the story itself basically i do think that the length of the game is kind of to its benefit because it has there's like 12 different companions they each have like four or five different quests that kind of unveils their individual storylines and it gives each one kind of like enough room to breathe to to not feel like you're rapid firing through like someone's like personal dilemma and you're just kind of like knocking them off a chessboard where you'll you'll go into one part of the game and one one character will will end up being a, a focus point and you'll have a two or three quests with them and another character just will kind of sit on the sidelines then you go back to another part of the game and the other character will kind of mesh into the narrative in a more natural way and 
I just feel like if the game was half as long, yes, it would be half as long, which some people might think is a benefit all of itself. But then I just feel like they couldn't have done the diligence that they did to make sure that these characters feel like characters, that you actually kind of have time to digest what their motivations are, why, what, why they're with you in, in your crusade. And, and the sheer number of characters does kind of help. There, I'll put it this way. There, are, there was a point in the game where I had to fight one of the party members I had, that uh, a fighter character that ended up quite using a lot, but had to end up like killing them because they disagreed with my choices. And I, I, I immediately went to like the wikis or whatever to figure out like, what do I say so I don't have to like fight them because I want to keep them. <laughs> but uh, basically, yeah, it was too late. Like it, it was, I, had, I did not make the right decisions to keep them on my side because the characters have different dispositions and different like motivations. And you won't always be able to please or save everyone. And I'm sure. Is it, is it all, is it all always human party members or it's like different races? No, but it's all over the place. And okay. I actually, I actually kind of think that some of the races in Pathfinder, and I don't know how much of this is lifted from D and D actually are really kind of interesting. Like for instance, one of my, one of my favorites is gnomes. So gnomes have a different interpretation depending on what, fantasy world you're looking at in this world they come from a another dimension is not the right word but they come from like another plane of existence like they're, they're not natives to this planet and because of that there's like a magical energy that sort of rejects them that they that they refer to as the bleaching so gnomes have kind of an un they don't know how long they have to live they usually live pretty long, but at some point their skin starts wrinkling, their hair goes white, and they they just kind of like age and die really quickly. What that ends up doing is that most of the gnomes that you meet are like really ambitious and really determined because they don't know how long they have to live. And it's kind yeah. of just like, and it's an interesting like magical aspect that that's kind of how the, the framework of their race is designed. And you have, you have a gnome in your party who basically uh, has... One of the, actually the Hell Knight that I mentioned earlier, his name is Regal. He's one of your party members. Is a gnome who has started to show signs of bleaching, and he, he, you kind of wonder like, does how long does he have to live? How much does this bother him? And he has kind of a different interpretation of his more his own mortality compared to uh, a gnome that was in the previous game who just kind of identified it differently. So that's just like one example. Um, one of the best characters of this game is actually a demon in her own right. Her name is Arushale. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. She is basically a demon who ended up killing a priestess. I believe I have this right. I hope Pathfinder uh, wiki experts <laughs> don't poke oh. at this too much. But <laughs> she ends. She ended up killing. She ended up killing. Uh, she's a succubus, and she ended up killing, tricking, manipulating, and then killing a priestess of desna which is one of the um you know the pantheon of gods in this world but eventually like she ended up wanting to become devout to this prince to this uh to this goddess herself and basically overcome her own demonic nature so basically she's a demon that wants to be good to put it plainly um and no one trusts her everyone thinks that she's a succubus every she everything she's saying is just to manipulate you so do you trust her or do you or do you don't um and then there's this one point in the game where she ends up saying, uh, I need a favor. I need you to come here and do this with me to help take care of a part, an issue of her quest. It's like her, it's like her second or third to last quest line. And then you go there and realize that she lied to you. She she still needed your help. She wasn't interested in 
you know, attacking you or killing you, but she manipulated you anyway because it's in her nature. And I, it was sort of stuff like that where she was like, I'm a demon. My, uh, I'm a demon commander. This is all I know. Like manipulations, lies, subterfuge. I'm good at that. Asking for a favor. I've, I've never come to understand that sort of thing. So I really do think that the characters in this game, and they were great in the last game too. It's the, the length of the runtime of this game allows those sorts of, uh, revelations those sorts of story unfolding to feel really natural and not like it's too brisk not like it's okay. too superficial and surface level uh this game in general really enjoys if you enjoy reading you will enjoy this game because there are so many times where a uh, a block of text will appear at the bottom and the game has a decent amount of voice acting where it, it will uh, a character will say a certain line that might be like just a single sentence, but then it gives a ton of context about, obviously this is an isometric game. So like the animations are very limited. I still think it's a gorgeous game, actually. I think it has a really nice art style, but you kind of have to glean and play with your mind's eye what, you know, what the the framework and the staging of the scene that's going on. Uh, and that's what the text allows you to do. And like a, a a piece of dialogue dialogue might show up at the bottom and a character might say a very short line. And if all you, if all you listen to is the voice acting, you might hear it and then go on to the next thing. But then you might read what the context is and it'll be like a whole lot more context towards what is going on. And sometimes you might, I tried to be really diligent and listen through all the voice acting and all the, and all the cutscenes. but there, there is just a lot. Uh, and it, it just, it just contributes to that, to that long runtime. But if you enjoy, so if you enjoy of, reading, yeah, that's always a, a big like frustration of mine. Of like, I can read really fast and like and and still get like you know understand what I read. So like when I, I'm like wrestling with like I can just skip this line. I know it's voice, but they're reading really slow and I already finished this line and they're barely just starting to like voice it. It's one of those like frustrations. Like I'm sorry, I'm I'm sure this voice acting is great, but I got I'm, I'm I got to move on. You know, I've already read this line. <laughs> so yeah, I, I, get, I get it. Yeah, it. and I guess there is a little bit of um, oh here I found an example. I was paging through some of my um, I, I was paging through some of my screenshots. So you're helping this person uh, in the demon city that wears a red mask. You don't know their name, so you just call them by red mask. Red mask wants you to help take care of basically uh, a person that they've painted as a villain and a thief, and like you, I'll pay you if you help me. Um, then it says you 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 end up fighting this enemy who is named Latverk, uh, who is basically someone who pretended. I, I hope I get this right. Pretended to be an Asimar, which is like an angelic creature, but was really just you know it was all just a ruse. Not to be confused with ASMR. Yes, <laughs> I think it's I think it's Asimar. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Uh, but it's you you go into this you go into this place you fight this you fight this villain and then red mask is alongside you the person that asked you to do this and it's like without further ado the avenger bends over latverk when she stands up again she's holding the bloody strip of skin that used to be the asimar's face the woman takes off her mask and smiles with satisfaction smiles with satisfaction he took away my beauty now i've taken his Red Mask then stretches Latverk's face over her own. Basically, Ooh. you start to realize that the reason she was wearing her mask is because this person stole her face. And if you weren't reading this, you would not have like that gruesome imagery. And you're like, oh, shit. <laughs> so yeah. it ended up being like, that's the sort of stuff that I really think that this game does well, where you're like, I'm not exactly sure what the context is. And if you didn't read that, you would totally miss that 
just that whole like how gruesome this was and how like does either person from this end up coming per- coming across looking like a good person no uh so it's stuff like that that i think this game really does cool. well and, yeah. and it comes in spades all right do you, know so. if there's, do you know if there's multiple endings to this game or there's all there's actually just a one ending uh it's a linear story but it's um there's there's a lot of games especially western rpgs where once you reach the end of the game it kind of like pages through all the companions that you knew and like where they end up or all the places that you visit and where they end up and those can diverge based on how you completed specific quests um but the ending is always the same but the framework of how the ending completes can can shift okay there all are right. like there you you end up choosing a mythic path which is basically like your i don't know how to word this I, I chose a mythic path of an Azada, which basically is a mythical creature from the realm of Elysium or whatever. But you can also do like Lich or Dragon or Angel or Demon, uh, things things like that. And what mythic path you pick ends up shifting what you're allowed to do at the ending. So I only ever saw the one because I've only played through the game once. And I probably I might play through again in like five, six years to see another path, but I'm not I'm not eager to do that right now. But which mythic path you pick kind of opens up what options you have. And then um, there is also like, how do I word this? There's like a secret endings where you can like extend the ending if you make the proper choices throughout the game. Or okay. if you if you end up learning enough about the villain, you can, you can sort of like talk them down before fighting them or after fighting them, uh, things like that. So you can kind of shift like how the ending unveils, but you can't, it's, it always ends like at the same point in place. So it diverges, but just slightly. At least that's, I've only played through the game once, so it's not like I've really been able to research this, but uh, it died. Are you going to replay the game again? Eventually, I probably will. I enjoyed it. I I enjoyed it enough that I probably will. I want want to get around to this game. I know it's a long time for me, but it seems like it would, it would, it feels like it's going to, it would scratch that itch of mine that I've been wanting to like find like a really good CRPG for some time. And like not a lot of like big, big ones have come out like this. Well, it's weird, yeah, because when when Pathfinder Kingmaker first first came out, it was the same year as like Deadfire and the same year as uh, Original Sin Two Definitive Edition. It was like, and then I think Wasteland Three was in development or Two Definitive Edition had just come out. Uh, where now it kind of feels like there's less, there's just less like that that big bubble of releases and that type kind of has come and gone. So it's I like think- nothing really like scratches that itch because like I I like real time and pause like like you, but like it. Let's say Disco Elysium, for example. Like that's not really a game that like yeah. you, you like partake combat in. It, it definitely scratches like that Planescape Torment edge if you like really like dialogue and like engaging with dialogue like that. But there's like not like any sort of combat that you have to worry about or like micromanaging like you know how you build up characters in a real time and pause game. Mm-hmm. I have to say, from this probably comes no surprise, but everything you've just described seems like the least appealing game for me like it's, it's i'm, so I'm sorry you're listening as, to this no podcast and no, 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 no. that was your takeaway fantastic <laughs> no because i like i like the fact that you're so into it and i like hearing about it but if i was imagining me sat the it's just i just can't get past 100 hours you, like that just makes me feel after 40 minutes of discussion george rings just like man everything we just spoke about like almost in the last hour holy shit it was awful for me <laughs> Oh man, I like, I like have, some elements of it. If you have nothing but, nice to say, George, don't say anything at all. Like me. Yeah. <laughs> wow! Well, I, I just think, 
this this has come from the person who, again, I, I said this before we started, who likes stuff like Marvel's Avengers. So maybe my opinion <laughs> shouldn't be trusted or listened to, but you know, I, it, it's just not my sort of thing. I don't think. But we said the same what? about Disco Elysium, uh, and that ended up being one of my favorite games ever. So we never know. Well, part of the reason, like, I wanted to cover this is a I do I do I do just sort of enjoy the style of game. But B, I almost feel like this is like an RPG in its truest sense. Now that that's mm. kind of a loaded statement because you know people have there's we as we've discussed a hundred times, there is no consensus on what an RPG is. There just isn't. Uh, but this is like it's pen and paper roots. It's coming from you know ten tabletop games that was birthed out of Dungeons and Dragons. You know, which is kind of like the godfather of of so many series and so many worlds it's a a timely discussion too because at the at as of this moment at the time of this recording steam has this tabletop rpg sale as well so if you you want to know more about like those kinds of games they have a whole section and sale for like a ton of those games and sometimes it was just kind of nice just to pay play like a longer slower paced game uh, though I will admittedly, like by the time I was in like Act Five, I was like, "Please end, please be over." Like, if they had, if if they had taken out the Crusade stuff, and this game was a a mere seventy hour game instead, like I actually kind of feel like it would have been better. <laughs> but it's still like I still recommend it. It's still a game I recommend. Uh, just, just just the Crusade stuff, you just kind of have to close your eyes and grit your teeth. Just that's how it is. In my opinion, that seems really cool. Yeah, uh, everything we've spoken about, at least unlike you know other participants in this podcast, I would been too. <laughs> Well, if I have to listen to you, you guys talk about, I don't know, I don't want to, pe- I don't want to pick on any super, super <laughs> robot wars. You get to listen to me talk about those. <laughs> Joshua's on your side. <laughs> Damn, or, or, oh yeah. Like all the fighting, all the guilty gear talk that I feel so lost. Uh, in uh, so, all right. Uh, just everything I'm into. Like I, I, I was into what you were saying that you're just targeting everything. Oh, I God damn it. <laughs> Fine. Uh, James's visual novels there. Or Chow's Genshin Impact. I'll just, I'll just pick Civil up War here. <laughs> By the way, welcome to the podcast, Chow. <laughs> oh, yeah. I was here this whole time. I came in really late. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so Chow showed up right after he did introductions, but then I guess I was talking about Pathfinder for 40 minutes and never got around to it. So uh, welcome, Chow. Uh, How's it going? Uh, as you can see, it's a fucking gigantic trash fire Civil War in here. <laughs> Alrighty, so uh, Pathfinder is good. It's still a little bit buggy, but it's it's an ambitious game that I think is worth playing uh, if you have the stomach for it. Sorry, George. <laughs> so we, a lot of games are coming out in this upcoming week that I know Josh in particular is looking forward to. One of them that I just dunked on. Uh, but up until your uh, up until uh, the release of Super Robot Wars, what have you been playing? Uh, in the meantime, um, I've you know I've been kind of just jumping um, from game to game, like thinking like, oh, how do I burn time till then? So <laughs> I, I'll talk about with this Demon Slayer game in a little bit with George because I know he's into it. I've also been dabbling with Xbox Game Pass, and they have a little game called The Rift Breaker that I've been really into. It's kind of like a hybrid tower defense, base building, and a little bit of action RPG elements. Uh, I've like spent like I don't know like. 10 15 hours into that maybe it's it's been really fun and scratching an itch of mine that i've had but uh for the purpose of this po- podcast uh rpg wise uh i think a few weeks ago um some fine folks i don't know i don't remember the name of the group i'm so sorry 
but uh, they released a fan translation for a Swickedin game that came out like in 2012. Um, they localized the subtitle for it, for it as the Woven Web of a Century. Uh, the original name is like Sumugareshi Hyakunen no Toki. Um, it's yeah, it was, it was released back on the PSP, and I've been I, I I'm still very early into it. I've like maybe put maybe four or five hours into it so far. It's uh it's okay, you know. It's a uh, it's not like it's a lot more like modern Suikoden than old Suikoden in the sense that uh, I don't believe there's like any sort of like um like art not RTS but there's like a strategy like element to like older Suikoden games that this doesn't have. It's um it's a lot like uh Tear Christ or whatever the fuck you how you pronounce that game. Um, where it does have the six-person party system, uh, like, and that was like in Suikoden Five as well, and you arrange them on a three-by-three grid. Um, the and like the magic system in this game is based on a character's class rather than having like the rune system or like the Mark of the Stars that the older Suikoden games had. Uh, By the way, the, uh, the group is called Twisted Phoenix Game Translation. Thank you very much. Yeah, a big mm-hmm. shout out to those folks. Thank you very much. You know. This is uh really cool. Um the the setup for this game is really weird and like it kinda it 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 feeds into like how like the kind of neat gimmick about this game. Um where at the at the beginning you ha- you name this protagonist, but he's not silent, he's a very active participant main character, has a lot of voice lines and whatnot. Um and you're you're part of this village, uh like the village, I think it's called. And the 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 world setting is that every hundred years there's these centennial monsters that are super like tough monsters that appear, and you know it's you know humanity's like you know, obligation is like to quell them because they don't want to be exterminated and whatnot. So you're uh, early on you encounter one of these creatures uh, with uh, your main character, uh, another uh, character named Mira, and her, her brother Gino, and then. They're like, okay, well, we'll uh, hold them off. Uh, Gino, you go alert the village that this is happening. And amidst all this as well, you know, there's this like army that like is kind of strong arming like nearby communities and villages to like uh, to to be annexed by them. So they kind of have this struggle with them as well. Like we don't want anything to do with them. We want to you know remain independent and whatnot from them. So as the main character and Mira are back into like these ruins. Uh, that like for some reason the monsters can't like enter like this this is barrier they come up uh, across this era tree and this era tree has like this mystical property of like uh bringing them back 100 years they kind of stumble into it by accident and like there's this mysterious character white-haired character named like zine zeno or zeno uh uh and so they traveled back 100 years and they meet like uh, st- like a distant ancestor of the main character who practices like the same like sword style, like the blue flash sword style. And this and this person, I think his name's like Thorwell or uh, whatnot. And he or Thorb, I don't remember. And he's he's by that point where in their time period, he's like a legend. He's like, oh man, he's like this great hero from back then that that drove off these monsters a hundred years ago these uh, the centennial monsters of their time and whatnot so he's already very famous and well known to them and 
they explain the situation to him and it's like it's all unbelievable but it's like okay well you have this like like uh artifact like a knife on you it's like exactly the same like the scratches are here the same like but there's only one of these and you know that whole the typical early grpg stuff and how you learn skills in this game is essentially like uh a person from the past that has like your same class like kind of teaches on their techniques to you so for example when you get this uh thor guy or thor guy uh with you for uh temporarily uh he's like level 50 and you're still like level like three or whatnot and he he teaches you like okay the we both practice the blue this blue flash sword style so you you link them up uh through your main menu and like this unite system and you want to get you want to pair up this this dude with the main character because they're the same class and uh how this per, uh is represented in battle is every time that this uh thor guy um does the second form wave skill uh your main character will do the same skill after him but it's much weaker and that's how you're you gain mastery obviously you know kind of meant to represent okay i i see it i understand that i'm going to try to replicate what you did uh in battle and whatnot i so, was half expecting you to say like when they go 100 years in the past and they and they meet up with this guy who's like this known hero that actually he was a drunk or, or whatever i know that's a very like well-worn yeah, well yeah. trope or whatever but I, I i always get a kick out of that when it actually plays with the idea of like how legends or folk tales kind of like grow bigger than their source material this one yeah this one's much more straightforward this this guy uh, seems like a small guy yeah he seems well, he's to level be, 50 you know, or whatever nice. yeah yeah so you know that that's kind of how you learn skills. I imagine once I go back to the past again and meet other characters with the same subclasses, like the mage. You know, I'm sure they'll teach. You know, Mira, who's a who's a mage uh, in my party, they'll she'll learn more spells from them and whatnot. It's also really interesting with the uh, spell system in this game. It's a it's a typical turn based game. Nothing too special about that. But like when you cast spells in this game, it actually takes like consumable items for you. So like you need to have like a fire gem with you to cast a fire spell and every time you cast one of those it'll consume a gem permanently from 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 that um so you have to uh, care be careful about like your item management uh, as well but then you'll back in like your kind of home fort you'll have like this production facility that like you can get more of these items from a workshop and whatnot so um i I guess that's kind of like the main thing that I've only seen so far that like makes me go oh, okay. But then there's this whole type of like unite system when you're like pairing up characters as well that I don't exactly know how useful they will be right now because right now I'm just spamming that second form wave AOE that does a ton of damage to all the monsters that I learned from the legendary hero from back then because as you it kind of this unite system deals with how the turn based nature of the game plays out. Usually, if everyone's just separate, they'll act on their turn. So, like, you know, if I click attack on my main character and then Mira and then a, a third party member, when they when I click attack, the, they'll attack immediately. But if they were united, um, they would all like you, you click attack on all of them, and then they would all wait until like the last person would go, and then they would all attack at the same time. And that doesn't. But I'm not sure exactly. What kind of bonuses you get out of that? Yeah, at the I was, was, like, was going to ask, like, what's the benefit of that? Yeah, there, there is like some pairs, like say, 
uh, main character Mira, and I forgot the the third party member's name. She's kind of like a, a herbalist, which is uh, meant to be the healer party. And then, like, if you unite them together in the main menu, like it says, it says Soul of Thebe on them, so it says something special between the three of them. And then it says Up Speed, Up Tech, and then like I'm not exactly sure like how that affects it because they now have a unite attack option for them when they're all paired up but when they do it it's like it still feels weak i don't know if that like if they do it if they all do it it'll raise their speed and tech as stats because they did that attack so there's certainly like you know some degree of like maybe custom customization there um but other than that it's it's straightforward at the moment because i'm still early on obviously you go into shops you buy equipment armor whatever um, and then the the world map is just basically since it's a PSP game, they're limited uh, technologically what they can do. So you have this world map, but you go into each zone. And each zone is fairly small, has like creatures you can run into to like uh, initiate uh, combat. It's that's not random battles. You can see the enemies on the field. Um, I imagine you know as I get deeper into it, I'll meet more characters that'll like join like my fort, like how usually Suikoden games are. So like. You may have NPCs that'll have like new shops or new functions to to give to your party uh, later on, but it's it's kind of like a just a neat thing just to see this in uh, English now, and you know it, the, the the fan translation quality is uh, pretty good. Well, I actually and, didn't realize like for some reason like I've not played Suikoden. It's I kind of wish Adam was here for this because he he adores this series. I wonder if he's yeah. interested in uh trying out this the fan translation, but. For some reason, I had always kind of had in my mind that Suikoden died with Suikoden Tear Christ. But then this game came out like four years later, and it's the most recent spinoff, as far as I can tell. Maybe so. so. I can't, yeah, I can't remember anything. The Suikoden have any. This is, this is going to sound like really judgmental, but does Suikoden have any of those like bastardization mobile spinoffs or no? <laughs> I don't think it uh, does. No, it's not like Breath of Fire. Uh, oh, I was thinking of Breath of Fire, yeah. But. Yeah, so Tear Crisis 2008, and then this game released for PSP 2012, but only in Japan, and that's the the most recent spinoff. So going on ten years. Yeah, so I mean, you know, and then we're, we're I guess we're all waiting for that Hundred Heroes Chronicle game, the AU Den Chronicle game, mm -hmm. meant to be a virtual spinoff uh, sequel to it. So you know, it's just one of those. It's like, oh, you know, I for, I totally forgot that a fan translation came out. I just wanted to dip my toes into it and then kind of work my way through it slowly and see. You know how how it uh, holds up, but you know it's been a, a very long time since I played a Suikoden game. But so yeah, we'll have it, we'll have it in the timestamp, but uh, it'll be Suikoden Woven Web of the Centuries. Uh, it's English fan translation by Twisted Phoenix Game Translation. So if you're interested, you can look it up and uh, see what's out there. Uh, were you going to say something, yeah. Joe? And yeah, I was going to say there's another fan translation project that just came out recently too for people that are Falcom fans. There is the Yeast versus the Trails in the Sky series that recently just came out as well by oh, the yeah, real front a, group. The PSP fighting game, yeah, it's <laughs> yeah. A, it's like it's like a collab between like the East like Seven cast versus like the like Trails in the Sky first chapter, maybe second chapter cast, and it's no, uh, isn't. Isn't there? Uh, there's some, like Lloyd is in there. Yeah, I was gonna Lloyd, say Lloyd is in there. Is like it's like the sole like bonus character because it was at a time where like Zero Nakaseki was still new. So I think he's like a secret character. I forgot, but yeah. So I mean, that's just a, a neat little thing, like just seeing because that uses like the E7 battle system. Yeah. There. 
Well, we also saw that Tales of uh, was it Tales of Destiny fan translation project that they released a trailer for a few months back. Uh, Destiny Two, the real Destiny Two. Um, yeah, not so, Internia, you guys. Uh, right, yeah. I always forget if Destiny Roman numeral Two is the real one or Destiny Arabic Two is the, is the real one. Uh, but the one I, that I we never officially played, got. I definitely played Two, and I could even like summarize it. I remember the game fairly well because I imported it when the game first came out. But I'm not sure if anyone wants to hear me ramp about it. No, it's. I think it's cool to to see like uh, the fan translations or or if people import because they understand the language. Talk about these games that we don't get to get the uh, official releases, and we know that the GeoFront group, especially, obviously that their their work on the trails from zero into Azure is being used for the official releases for those, you know, in the upcoming years. So I and I have no doubt that their Yeast versus Trails game is at a similar high bar of quality. And it sounds like the Suikoden game has got a really good translation. Uh, this Destin, Tales of Destiny uh, director's cut and two looks like a really promising project. It's really cool that we live in the world where the tools and the expertise and the passion to do these sorts of things from fan groups is something that we can uh, all benefit from. Hey George, you still okay. there? Of course. Uh, what do you do? You want to talk about? Is it time? Uh, is it, is time? it time? I don't know. I think it should be time. All right. So uh, we uh, three weeks back. Two, when was the last time you were on the podcast? Uh, uh, last time was three weeks ago. Yeah. And then so, last. Yeah. Well, no, it's two weeks ago. I think. It's also the last time I was on here that I referred to this reference. If I remember. <laughs> but we we gave you a bunch of shit for <laughs> wanting, expecting, hoping, dreaming for Sora and Smash as the last character. And I know this was announced two weeks ago, but you weren't here. Uh, but now you are. So how how is it? Is it everything you dreamed it would be? Oh God. Um so first of all, I guess I should talk about uh how I reacted to it. Uh, everyone loves a good reaction. <laughs> Um, I was like, oh, I need to emulate it, like uh, like uh, audio only. Emulate oh, I couldn't emulate that. I can never go that high pitched again. <laughs> that, you know, that was that was inhuman. Um, it is. I've lo- I've watched it so many times since it it gets me every time. Um, and the I trailer? would say it is one of the trailers. Yeah, the trailer because it's like it's so up until the last second where the Keyblade shows up. You have no clue who it is. I was like, oh, it's a Dark Souls character. Fair enough. Okay, I guess I'll stop celebrating. Uh, <laughs> and then, as soon as that keyblade shows up, I, I leapt out of my seat. Tears were flooding. I was screaming. The neighbors were probably like hating their life. Um, and he's just—I guess we emotional talking about it. It's just so. There's so much love put there, you know. Like in that trailer, in in his appearance, it's so like, yeah, Sora's here. Come on, like he's Sora is finally here. Like they say. Um, and it's exact. That's exactly why I didn't think he would be because it's such an obvious pick, isn't it? Like I remember you guys at the time were sort of like, eh. You guys weren't like super surprised by it. Um, but I've been telling myself for years it could never happen because Disney and because uh, Kingdom Hearts doesn't really have much of a presence on uh, Nintendo. I guess Melody of Memory and uh, Dream Drop Distance. Oh, well, I, well, actually, remember, yeah, remember, alongside the announcement, we talked about the memories. <laughs> Well, yeah. technically, we, you can't see the Disney characters in the in the ad, right? Oh, okay. I mean, I mean, we do. We see the the Mickey Mouse keychain. That's the only <laughs> re- representation. <laughs> yeah, but you don't see like the Donald Duck and uh, Goofy and the was it like the portrait, the roast 
take the yeah, class the, or whatever. Uh, the, the, this, the, yeah, this is a little bit of uh, we've we, we talked about this obviously on the cast where we because obviously just covering this, they they announced the switch uh, stream versions of the games and all the other stuff. And we and we did talk about uh, how the Smash implementation was with Donald and Goofy being replaced by like generic artwork. But mm. I'm totally on board just going through it again now that we have George's presence to go through it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm honored. Uh, I. Yeah, at first I was kind of like, it it doesn't bother me at all, to be completely honest. Um, <clears throat> pardon me. Uh, I think Kingdom Hearts on its own is iconic enough and does enough without Disney uh, that I don't think it needs to be there. If that makes sense, I know like you can never escape it because it's literally it's hanging off of Sora all the time. I mean, that's, that's, like, so Sora, Sora is technically a Disney character. Like I think that's how the rights play out. Yeah. I've said this before when we've talked about like the future of Kingdom Hearts when I've like started getting excited about it. Uh, I, I truly believe that the next one is going to be as separated from Disney as it possibly can be. I think it's going to be all Yazora, it's going to be all Quadratum, it's going to be all Sora and Riku. I, like, if Donald, Goofy, Mickey, they'll probably appear... Well, yeah, yeah, they'll appear, but like, there won't be Disney worlds. Is is my thinking? Um, I wonder if they'll start I know crossing over with other Square Enix properties instead. I would love that. Like, th this is the thing. I, I don't think. Well, I guess they've already done that. I with, love like, the Disney stuff. With your like, distance. it's it's one of the most exciting parts pre-release. Is like, oh, what worlds are going to get in? And it's it, it's always been one of my favorite parts of each game. But I don't need that now. Like, I'm on board for like Sora's adventure. Um, I'm not sure how many people agree with that. I'm sure there's a lot of people who are like need the Disney and they want the Disney and that's why it's so mainstream. But you know, the fact that Don and Goofy aren't here, yeah, I, I would have liked to reference them, but it doesn't like ruin ruin it at all. I've seen some people say, like, ah, oh, disgusting, censorship. Uh Disney characters are gonna be expensive, I guess. Um yeah. and there's and still it's, so it's much crazy here to look the... at the uh the copyright tag on Smash Bros. now, how it has to have so many Disney. like uh <laughs> yeah just added disney at the end but all the all the strings that had to be like i i can't imagine what this looked like behind the scenes I, i'm already used to like long copyright tags you should see the copyright tags for super robot wars games no, that, in general. That would be another one yeah <laughs> but um, now i don't i pale in comparison to george but i am i like i do consider myself a kingdom hearts fan uh maybe less so now but like i adored the games growing up and i i pre-ordered most of them uh in uh, middle school early high school and it's kind of weird like i've gotten to this point where i kind of think of donald and goofy as like not disney characters at least they're incarnations in the kingdom hearts series mm -hmm. like if you told me kingdom hearts is going to have no disney going forward or very very little i would be like all right whether i'm okay with that is whether or not you you kind of grandfather in whether Donald and Goofy appear because to me like they're like non negotiable like they better yeah, be fucking yeah. in there because <laughs> I don't know like I fully hundred percent agree when I say no Disney it's like it's 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 kind of a cheat because it's like no Disney except for the ones that are important to the story like you know Yensid has to be there Mickey has to be there Donald and Goofy but that, you know that's four Disney so characters I don't, see I don't um, even go that far like Yensid or whatever Mickey oh and uh, take her to leave it Donald and Goofy they better be there <laughs> God damn it I better play a Sora and have Donald and Goofy on my side by my side like yeah. if that if it doesn't have that it's not a Kingdom Hearts game and that's that's probably a bit well, of a fossil but a bit dogmatic but, but that's my mindset no I I, I see that I, I see that viewpoint like. Com Completely as well. Like, it's like Birth by I, Sleep. I, I, it's, there's Aqua, Donald, and Goofy in Birth by Sleep. <laughs> <laughs> it's like 
Kingdom Hearts, the next Kingdom Hearts, uh, if, if it turns out to be like a Dream Drop Distancey, Yazora, Riku, Sora, whatever thing, I, I don't think that I imagine. I can imagine if they announce that, it's like, yeah, this is just a Kingdom Hearts adventure. Don't worry about Donald and Goofy. I can imagine like riots in the street over that. But Kingdom Hearts 4, when that eventually happens, that's going to have Disney Worlds. Of course, it's going to have Disney Worlds. Like, I believe like all of the big ones will going forward. But in Kingdom Hearts 3, we really start to see them shift away from that i think like it the disney worlds felt really forced like it's literally all of them up until the last one like will give you like even the slightest bit of story importance besides like i guess lessons sora learns but then they're not needed um they're fun they're great like the toy story world's probably one of my favorites ever in kingdom hearts but i just don't think it's like super super necessary anymore i do think they i do think they did better in three than they did in two because in two they did this terrible thing where they just kind of like you pantomime the story of the movie only your sora now where in 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 one and in three it was more like we're using that ip to set the premise and the setting but we're going to try to incorporate it into the at least in kingdom hearts one they try to incorporate it into the overarching story and three, maybe not as effectively, but they didn't just say like, you remember how this movie played out, right? We're going to do that again. Go ahead, Josh. Yeah. It's one of those weird things that like, I, I, I like being, be, being able to like see the novelty of explore, exploring Disney spaces. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cause you don't, you just don't really get that in games anymore, especially like, you know, having like a slick combat system on top of that uh, as well. So like, I, I, it's just one of those weird, like, like separations of like does every like does this game exist just to have every world serve its plot and that's it like if like if you're if your space isn't plot relevant should we even have it in there should we even have like you know yeah. the novelty of like or the, the fun of like other people of like being able to explore the space in a novel way just like because you don't you don't we don't get big budget you know disney games like in that and that kind of manner you know no like, I, I agree um, and that, that's the thing. It feels like such a weird argument to make as a, you know, Kingdom Hearts is my favorite thing in the world. So like to say, oh, I wouldn't mind if it lost some of its identity. It, it's less that and it's more, you know, Smash has proven that it's not, you know, it, Kingdom Hearts isn't screwed about Disney. If Disney go, oh, you know what? We can't bother to give you all these movies. Just do a Kingdom Hearts thing. Like Kingdom Hearts will be fine. Um, well, no, it wouldn't because literally Sora and all the actual Kingdom Hearts characters are owned by Disney. If they said, oh, we don't want to. Yeah, wanna... yeah you know, what I mean, like if, if Disney was like randomly selective and go, yeah, you can't have any world. You can have Sora do what you want with him. You can't. You know, if they did what they've done with Smash, um, I would I would be OK with that. Uh, and I feel like that was kind of the same with Kingdom Hearts 3, where it had no Final Fantasy characters, right? It's really noticeable. Not until, and it's the, kinda, not until Remind. At Remind barely did. It was like, yeah, here's a cutscene. Like, didn't yeah, Namura you know, even outright say that like the the Final Fantasy characters and whatnot were like a hook to get people into what he actually wanted, which was mostly the the actual like Disney stuff. Yeah, yeah, like that. That, that sounds about right. Um, and that was noticeable. I remember complaining about it at the time, but it was like. Kingdom Hearts 3 is still amazing and it's still good for all its own reasons. Um, and th- this, this is all beyond the point of like Sora actually being in Smash, but just from seeing that, besides the excitement of, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god, it was like, oh, so, you know, does this indicate anything about Kingdom Hearts' future? Does it indicate anything about where it's uh, going to okay, go? Okay, all right, let, let's rein it in then. Let's, 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 let's regather ourselves. Uh, yes. Sora, is he, how good is he in Smash? Uh, 
he but by I, my I, mind i assume i'm talking to a pro a pro smash player. <laughs> yeah well, well what tier yeah is he s tier oh, he's tier? like s s s s tier you know oh. um <laughs> i i'm we we've we've taken the mick out of it before uh take the mickey mouse out of it i guess would work better here but yes i play on wi-fi no i don't have a cable oh. yet when i move house i'll probably i'll probably you know i'll hook it up but okay so you, so play, I'm, I'm, you play super smash brothers ultimate online through wi-fi <laughs> and then you're like yeah me and my opponents are a-okay with it they're having a blast playing me <laughs> i'm having a blast playing them they can't react to what i'm doing because i'm fucking sora <laughs> and it feels good to win you know well, I don't win that much, so <laughs> that shoots that argument. Um, I'm okay at Smash. I'm, yeah, like I'm. I know what I'm doing. I've been playing it for since like uh, like. I'm like a troll before. <laughs> yeah, I can. I can mash buttons, but I, I'm. I'm pretty. I know. You know, like I know a tier list. I agree with like picks for tier list. I'm not like a super combo person, but like I can hold my own. Um, and right now, to be completely honest, Sora feels. He, he feels like he's got like a hat on top of a hat with some of his moves. So he has, they they really really focus in on the fact that Sora's name is like, you know, it's it's air and that he's really light and that he can glide and he can fly and like that's his thing. Um, which I would, you, you know, if you asked me to design a design Sora as a character, I don't know if I would go straight away to the fact that he can fly and that he's floaty. But you know, that that Kingdom Hearts fans hate that word. They hate the word floaty. You can't say that. Um, but he has the ability to. He he has his Sonic Blade as like his uh, side special, and that thing, oh my god! Like you can you could do it three times in a row. It's an attack that's actually pretty powerful and has like some pretty good knockback. You can combo your up air. Oh no, you can combo your side B into an up air to recover. Like he is he is just like nuts in the air. Um, but he, like he's really fun. He's so fun to play. Uh, it feels weird to say like oh they've they've nailed how a Kingdom Hearts character would feel in Smash, but. You know, maybe it's just because I'm so excited about it, but like I think they have, um, and it just makes me want like a Smash fight, like a like a Kingdom Hearts fighting game so much. Uh, just like, well, I I do think that uh, this is a an appropriate final character. It just it just feels yeah. like it's big enough. It's kind of like a crossover of crossovers sort of thing. I just I, I'm trying to think like if it wasn't Sora who would be worthy and i don't know if i have an answer to that there's only one there's only one right answer and that's sakurai himself it wasn't sora (laughs) it better be sakurai himself then i remember watching the trailer and it was like when it started doing like all of them turning back into figures i was like oh it's gonna be it's gonna be master hand it's gonna be like a shrunk down version and i was like this you know for the legacy of smash that'd be cool but that, that wouldn't be the right angle same with waluigi where it's like you know, Waluigi would be a great pick in the next Smash if they You're do. They really try to piss off a lot of people listening to this podcast. <laughs> I, am, I am so sorry, Waluigi fans. If they did Waluigi, it should have been like an unexpected coda, like Waluigi's also here or something like that, <laughs> <laughs> like a like a piranha plant sort of thing, where it's like, yeah, Waluigi's free, like as a celebratory thing. I mean, has like a long last. No, like he's ready to like you know, Master Chief fans. No, fuck them. You know, (laughs) not appropriate. Dante fans, you already got your amiibo. Fuck you, or not amiibo, or me, or me costume, or whatever. Fuck you. It's like I mean, fans. Rayman. Like if if I had to pick one, I know that's like blast. I'm, I'm actually kind of surprised. Am I can watch because I keep slacking it off. But. <laughs> no, I, I'm actually kind of surprised that this is this is going to sound totally more judgmental than I mean. But someone as young oh, as God. you like has a soft spot for Rayman. I just feel like Rayman oh, was before your time. 
Is this based on the Origins Ray Rayman, Legends game? Ray Rayman was uh, just like in my time, like the third one, uh, Hoodlum Havoc. That was uh, I, I was obsessed with that game. I played oh, that okay. game so much. Uh, and then I moved back onto two. Uh, I think it was Revolution, the sort of remakey one. And then back onto one. And then by that point, it's like, wow, Rabbids. I wonder if they'll like ruin Rayman. Oh, they did. Uh, and Origins of Legends saved him. But yeah, I love Rayman. He would have been my pick. Um, I, I heard some very which, again, it's weird. Too. Go on. Uh, I, I heard, I heard like, uh, was it back when like 4chan was doing like leaks? There was one of them. They were doing the prince from Dragalia Lost because of a side <laughs> games collab. <laughs> I, Dude, I would have fucking died. I'd be like, this is the most troll fucking pick ever. That was the case. They really, they really do hate everyone that if they, if they uh, <laughs> picked him. That's the most hilarious pick. It would piss off so many people. It would even piss Dragalia last players off, dude. Like, what the fuck is this shit? So, I mean, no one actually wins with that. So that's why every they just hate everyone if they pick them. I think it's the the reason why I got so emotional, uh, and I mean, like, I was I was I was a wreck. I could I could barely type. I was just there, like, oh my god. And even now, when playing him, I sometimes have these moments of like, oh my god, this is real. Like he's in Smash. Is less that he's actually made it in, which is still kind of amazing. But the fact he's like the final character, the fact that he is the most requested pick. Um, sometimes it feels like being a Kingdom Hearts fan. I know it's a massive, massive property, but sometimes it feels like you can never really win. Like if you're like, oh, I'm a Kingdom Hearts fan, people are like, wow, you're dumb. Um, <laughs> so to see sort of like, like yeah, retribution. It's everyone wanted him. Yes, uh, not retribution. <laughs> that's a bit more violent, but yeah, validation. Uh, and it just reminded me something I haven't felt even when Melody Memory was about. Like I'm, I'm so excited for Kingdom Hearts again. Uh, and I was excited for Melody Memory. You guys will remember, but like, you know, that was a rhythm game, and it seemed like Kingdom Hearts was a million, million years away, like the next one. And now it's like, no, yeah, they've got some momentum again. Yeah. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I love it so, so, so much. I can't I even did. express it. Like it's hard. I did buy the PC versions like a sheep, like all hundred bucks to get all of them. Uh, and like, I do want to play replay. Th- like, as soon as we get more news on Kingdom Hearts, whatever, whatever in the world is next, who 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 the hell knows? I'll probably like start by the one on the Switch. Are you actually gonna play through all the Kingdom Hearts games? Is that what you're gonna oh, say? I'll do it again. I'll do it I'll again. Do it. <laughs> He's like, don't yeah, don't tell me. No, I'll do it. <laughs> no, Kingdom Hearts three is a really good port on PC at least. Yeah. I will be playing the heck out of that on. Oh uh, no, Steam! Oh, I was gonna say on the Steam Deck, but it's pretty epic games, isn't it? You no, you will still probably be able to play it. I mean, like Tim Sweeney's outright said that he's—they're not gonna do anything to prevent Epic Game Store from working on Steam Deck. So, James, I have like the the technological capabilities of a spoon. Like, if if it's not pre-installed onto this Steam Deck, if it isn't like glowing light saying we'll do this to, fly, to play, fly play James Steam, out to Set up your Steam Deck. <laughs> Alrighty. Now that's all right. This is a fun chat. I'm glad I got to talk about Pathfinder. We got to talk about a surprise Suikoden fan translation, and it's always good to uh, dive back into Kingdom Hearts for the thinnest of reasons, such as a Smash Bros. Uh, cameo. But <laughs> <laughs> it's fun. Uh, and last week we didn't have any. Uh, major features go up on the site. It's just been a slower week in terms of like it didn't time out for reviews or any uh, impressions pieces. Uh, but all the pieces that we have been putting up lately are still up there if you haven't gotten to them, like the Lost Judgment review, Tales of Arise, um, 
the impressions of Hajimari Nokoseki from James and a few other things that we had put up that we talked about on the podcast last week. On the news front, uh, we, like I said at the header, the theme for today is I hope you're looking forward to February because that is where everything is landing, apparently. Uh, not a lot in terms of major announcements. Uh, we did, I'll just open with this one because we got to open with something. We did get a very short trailer uh, about the upcoming Starfield, which is obviously Bethesda's next major Western RPG product coming out next November. Uh, this is a trailer that basically is setting up the environment and the setting of Starfield called the Settled Systems. Uh, however, it does not feature gameplay. It features mostly just concept art, and it's probably like my least favorite sort of marketing for games or media in general, where it goes through like a bunch of proper nouns talking about how in Starfield there's the United Colonies and the Free Star Collective and the constellation is a group of, or of organized explorers and like it talks about pirates and other factions and i'm excited to hear more about starfield but this was just kind of like the most whimperiest whimperiest is that an adverb uh <laughs> yeah that, 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 it's a word now don't worry all right it's just like i'm excited to hear more about starfield but i just kind of felt like they had nothing to show but they felt like they had to market something to keep it in our mind hey we're talking about it on the podcast so maybe they completed their goal but <laughs> i mean like, it's, just, it's just a whole bunch of nothing you know essentially so i mean i imagine they're gonna keep on doing this every bi-weekly or whatever or every month it's like just slow drip feed till their supposed 2022 release but we don't we don't I, know not, 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 nothing set in stone i'm just surprised that like they do that big announcement trailer and then it's like, ah, here's more Starfield, but it's kind of nothing and it's concept art. Like the, the, the thing is, really act like that. is I, I, I don't like, I understand that maybe it's not ready to show. I'm not, I'm not trying to like slam my fist down and be gameplay or bust or whatever, or you better, you better, you know, out, outsource a CG trailer for me because I'm a child. It's just like, I felt like they could have organized this differently. Cause if you watch this, the settled systems trailer, they basically just rattle off a whole bunch of proper nouns, like a bunch of jargon that we have no attachment to. It's just a bunch of words, like just the United Colonies and the Free Star Collective. Like those mean absolutely nothing to me. I, I feel like a better approach would have been to like do maybe a specific similar style of trailer, even if it's just concept art for each group or something like that. Like this feels very too general, too broad. I don't there's nothing to latch on to for me. It's like, oh, that sounds interesting. I'll wait till I actually know what the hell you're talking about. Uh, but um, I yeah, do have high hopes I mean, for this game. It's just there's not there's not much meat on this bone to to talk about. Here's something that we probably wouldn't put at the front part of a podcast in our news section, but I put it here just because of the way it was presented and the just the content that's here. And I'm talking about Shin Megami Tensei Five. Obviously, we've we've had recent trailers that have shown off the English voice acting, the setting. This is coming out in early November in less than a month. Uh, but we got basically a in the final episode of their basically Shin Megami Tensei Five news program. They talked about all of the available day one DLC for this upcoming game, and it's a lot. It ends up being how much if you end up getting all of it? Thirty bucks, and a it's. Lot. 
Yeah, a lot. And it's it's everything ranging from like a demi fiend cameo boss battle to like basically cheat DLC that gives you uh extra money or experience. It's I I just thought that this was uh kind of it just it's emblematic of the world we live in now where it's like here we are still a few weeks away from release but we've got these like seven possible deal dlc packs that you can opt into ahead of the game's release if you want yeah it's essentially you know they've they've done this with prior releases too like uh, they've done cheat dlc with four (laughs) apocalypse the nocturne hd we've we've definitely gotten like you know those super difficult uh like bosses uh dlc like with four apocalypse there's this big moment in the whole Megami Tensei franchise where Stefan, where if you know, uh, if you follow Shin Megami Tensei, you know who Stefan is, he fucking gets up from his wheelchair. It's like, oh my god, this is fucking insane. So, but you know, and then there were like uh, heroes from the, or protagonists from the past SMT games that showed up in that DLC and whatnot. So it's kind of par for the course. It sucks that it has to be like this. Like, you know, like DLC exclusive demons like Cleopatra. Uh, and Mephisto are c- coming, and then you have Artemis for the new design. Uh, she'll be back as well, and then you have to pay for them essentially to ch- challenge them, and then they recruit- to enable to recruit them. And then you know, with the the return of the Demon DLC, not only do you get you know this boss battle with the Demi Fiend from SMT Three Nocturne, you also have the fiends, you know, all, like Matador, Hellbiker, uh, Harlot, tr- Trumpeter, and all of them. You know, you can recruit them after you beat them and whatnot, which, like, you know, it's one of those things, like, the these types of things would have been, like, in the base game, like, way back when, like, in Digital Devil Saga 1, like, Demi Fiend was, uh, like, a, a secret boss battle that you can, you can have on your second playthrough in there, and if you think about it, like, if, DD, if DDS1 was, like, released now it would be like dlc yeah yep. that's the, the the world we live in instead of secrets yeah, like, i don't i don't want to be i don't want to be overly cynical but i like i you say that and i'm like nodding my head like of course that would be dlc now like that's cameos are just like ripe for the picking like we can pull this out of the game and sell it back to you for four bucks or whatever um and my 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 favorite of these dlcs is this is a cheap one it's the mitama dlc i guess there's actually three of them uh where it increases the spawn rate of the Kushimitama, Sakimitama, Nigimitama. Basically, they are the metal slimes of this game, as far as I understand. They give you extra EXP, Maka, and Glory. And basically, they spawn at a low chance without the DLC. If you buy this DLC, it increases their spawn rate. That's what the DLC does, which you can then revert from the options menu if you wish. Oh, it's, oh God. it's just like literally spending money so that you run into more metal slimes or whatever you want to call it. Uh, and the, to me, that is just so scummy. Like, Jesus Christ. Like, I'd yeah. rather they just I'd rather they just do like the tails route where they just say, give us 10 bucks and we'll give you a bunch of items in your inventory that you eat for EXP or whatever. The fact that they're just <laughs> using it to... Uh, like uh add a spawn rate toggle to the options menu is just really scummy like i'm not i'm not gonna like it's it's i mean you you could say it's harmless if you don't like it don't buy it sure like that's that would be what i would do it's just that it's just like man like that is as like low as you can go i feel but it's It's an option it is what it is they also confirmed that you know that there will be free dlc the safety difficulty which is the super easy difficulty and Japanese voices, like I think that's how they handled it for like the base Persona Five. Royal was already on the disc, 
Um, you know, but they're all, at least those are free DLC. You don't have to pay for them. Thank God. Um, but that's they they kind of laid it out. It's like, all right, well, I wonder if we'll see you know more DLC for this down the line. I can probably see it, but it's already a lot. Uh, if you if you can buy that, you can buy them piecemeal. Uh, you can also get the digital deluxe edition. Uh, for in the U.S., that's eighty five eighty five bucks. So on top of your sixty dollar purchase, that's an additional twenty five for everything that they've shown up to this point. And yeah, it always surprises me, like with Atlas, because they did the same sort of thing with Persona. Like obviously, I'm I'm not like as big of an Atlas buff as most people, but like I remember seeing when Persona Five came out, and even when Royal came out, it's like here's a million DLC costumes. Um, and those aren't. I don't really have a problem with that, but some of the stuff you've just you guys have just said now is like really like a toggle to basically like get easy xp uh-huh, uh-huh. they they mean they, they they added dlc to a fucking 2002 2003 ps2 game in uh, nocturne hd they have the mm. they have the cheat dlc uh in there and how that manifests is like you like warp to like a separate area which is like the reused hospital area at the very beginning of the game and you just basically warp there and all the random encounters there give you like more money more experience or give you items for like to level up and whatnot and it's just it's like Okay, I guess. Well, I'm, try- I'm trying to play devil's advocate, and someone say, well, like, if someone wants to have that, what's the harm? And I don't really have a good like counter argument. Like, I guess there really is no harm, but for some reason, it still just doesn't sit right with me. I guess it just. I mean, it's, uh, it's the, the cheap DLC, the cheap DLC is whatever. But like for the actual like DLC demon exclusive stuff, it's like, oh, go go pay an extra thing to like add this demon to your roster. It's like, why couldn't this be in the base game? It's like, fuck you, bitch. <laughs> pay up. Like, all right, I guess. <laughs> I mean, it, it, uh, I still people, feel bad about it, damn it. People who have played Atlas games should be. I'm not saying it's Boiled right. I'm just point. saying it's. I'm just saying it's expected because that's just modern Atlas practices these days. I, I wish it, it was better, but the only way it'd be better is like if people stop buying this and people won't stop buying this. So mm-hmm. it's a catch twenty twenty two situation, you know. I see what you did there. <laughs> So now we're going to go into basically talking about next year, because that's what all the other news of this week goes into. So over the last couple of podcasts, we've talked a fair bit about uh, the upcoming Atelier Sophie 2, The Alchemist of the Mysterious Dream. Uh, it originally leaked through like a classifications board and then a Best Buy listing, and then it was finally formally announced at a Tokyo Game Show. Uh, we're basically kicking off the marketing cycle where they're going to go into detailing the premise, the characters, as it as we lead up to its release date next February. So obviously this is a sequel to the original Atelier Sophie and in the first kind of media dump for it from Gust, there are detailing two characters, Elias Enders and Alette Clariette. Clariette. So if you're looking forward, if you're a big uh, Atelier fan, basically we're kicking off this, the, you know, the info dumps for setting up all the premise of Atelier Sophie 2. So, we have that detail up on the site. Yeah, if you're now if you're now Yuki fan, congratulations! You have your Aoyuki and Sophie too character. Oh, is, is that a voice actor? Or? Yeah, voice oh, actress, cool. very popular. Let's see. We have we have a couple of delays that either for sure mm. or might arrive. Have games arriving in the same window. Uh, one of the first ones was one that was originally supposed to release this December, and that is the remaster remake of Advance Wars, Advance Wars 1 plus 2 Reboot Camp. Uh, this was the one that was announced in the Nintendo Direct uh, several months back. 
they basically just announced it had its fixed release date, but now in order to just arrive at with some more fine tuning and be feel comfortable releasing the game, it's been pushed back to a generic spring 2022. So, uh, that's fine. I mean, look, uh, we've already waited long enough for any re-release or a new advanced wars, uh, make it as good as it can be uh so hopefully it launches well yeah i don't know is there a good is there a better spring window than others early january rather than (laughs) mid-february where everything Uh, i don't know early early march i guess honestly with how packed it's looking like next year is gonna be as well it's like man there's not really a good spot to put it i mean like like march or april i guess i don't know yeah, I actually do think that's kind of maybe the best result is that some of these that I'm about to go through uh, end up more like in the April-May time frame rather than in the February-March time frame. Speaking of February time frame, uh, we have a very sh- a minor delay in, in some expect in some respects, uh, and that is for obviously Elden Ring. So Elden not Ring, minor, man, that's a whole month. That's yeah. not minor. Well, oh, it's weird. Delay. It's weird to me because like it's a month delay. <sighs> I guess for some reason to me, February still feels like so far out, but it's it's four and a half months out. It's not that far Most out. So. <laughs> so like uh, Elden Ring, we learned back in June, was going to release on January 21st of next year. Uh, it's been pushed back to February 25th. Basically, just the normal things that they would cite for uh, the sort of delay. It needs extra development time for some final adjustments due to the game's depth. Uh, so... If you had January circled on your calendar for Elden Ring, uh, now squeeze it into February with everything else. No, there's so. nothing to play in January for me anymore, so yep. I just have to do a second playthrough of SRW. <laughs> it's I can't even think of anything that is launching in January now. No, I'm curious about it. Let, let me put, so yeah. in, in, in honor of the absent Adam, <laughs> I'm going to pull up uh, the... Uh, I, mean, I guess it's important to mention that they also announced that there will be a network test uh, for Elden Ring. Uh, it begins this uh, on November 12th, so it's very soon. So uh, even though I'm sure people who get into it will they'll have a, good, uh, a thing that says, don't talk about it, people are surely going to talk about it because who's to stop them now? Um, Pokemon... Uh, Arceus comes out January right. as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was looking at I was looking at Adam's list, and we've got Pokemon Arceus, and then Monster Hunter Rise and PC. So, uh, at least those are the ones that are, that are dated. There might be other ones that are expected to land there, but yeah, January might be. Uh, we always talk about how ne- early next year is going to be packed. But... Well, Josh, you ready oh. to uh, just bum rush Rise on PC before Elden Ring? I mean, it's it's a, it's a lot. The 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 window now is a lot wider now i thought i thought it was gonna be a fucking death march uh because it'd be releasing january but since so far out now like it it won't be too awful there's also god of war coming to pc but it's not an rpg but that's january 14th and that's it's adjacent you you level up you have some loot you know so that's something to look forward to as well even though i've already played that game but you know sure why not uh, I'll I'll live with having to wait for Elden Ring just a little bit more, I guess. Do another Pathfinder playthrough in January. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm excited. I'm very excited for Elden Ring. It's one of my, my most anticipated games next year. Man, I, I need it. Speaking of anticipated games, Cyberpunk 2077. I could have uh-huh. given a straight face on that. Uh-huh. <laughs> wow. All right. Remember, uh, several months back, we had that really, really good 
super super thorough uh release roadmap for their updates <laughs> the yeah, updates they, 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 they keep delaying the game it's still not the out. line yes the line uh so originally we had a nebulous late 2021 after continuous updates and improvements for the next generation update for cyberpunk 2077 uh along with uh the witcher 3 wild hunt both of those have been delayed to um 2022 where cyberpunk 2077 is right now the way they have listed is that it will get its next gen version in q1 while the Witcher 3, the Wild Hunt, will get a next-gen version in Q2. I, I have a serious I, question about this. Hmm. Uh, uh, currently, as of the time of this recording, Steam has Cyberpunk for 40 bucks and had this new spanking PC with a 3080 in it. Should I buy this game yet? Yes. I, I think so. Wow. I, 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 hmm. I loved it. I, well, I... Okay, love is a uh, love is a word I'd use. This for is coming for a person. Like this, this is coming from a person who played the PS4 version of Cyberpunk. Uh, to put this into context, uh, PS5 version. Uh-huh. But it's not the next. Well, it's, it's, it's the uh, okay. Well, yeah, it's not like a native one. Yeah, that's well, not, you got yeah, what this new story like a, we're talking about. Right. Is, that doesn't come out till next year. <laughs> you're still waiting. You're still waiting for your Cyberpunk release for all all, all intents and purposes, George. <laughs> yeah, I'm st- I'm still excited for Cyberpunk. I haven't played the real one. I've played like the the beta test. Uh, but no, from what I played, I I I will stand by Cyberpunk being a, a decent game. Um, it I, I've heard like I've talked to people about it recently, and everyone's saying how they've done like a bunch of side missions that are really good, and that I never went back and did, uh, and made me go, yeah, when this when this gets its uh, current gen or next <laughs> gen update, I'll I'll play it. When you get to play the real version of the game, then. Who knows? <laughs> I trusted right, the line, Josh. Right, the line if, right if, if it were me, I would still wait. I, I would wait until okay. you have like your game of the year edition, because even if no one agrees that that should be titled that, uh, <laughs> not like, game of the year edition. <laughs> whatever, whatever they come up with, their final. Here's everything packaged into one edition. Call it that. Call it that. <laughs> All right. I think I'm going to trust Brian over over George here. Ouch. Ouch. Uh, it makes a good point. I'm sorry. I don't. George. I don't want to go too much on a tangent on Cyberpunk, but but but, but Brian Let's played the PC but I, version, but, but it sounded, but it looked really good. So yeah, I played the PC 1.0 version. So mm-hmm. even that's been really supposedly tuned up. I uninstalled. What was it? Oh, they recently. So this is a bit of a random tangent so i wrote the uh, guides for cyberpunk and i probably need to like revisit them because they've added like i wrote a guide for like all the vehicles but they've added one and i was i was going to go like uh reboot up my game update it to figure out like what are the vehicles i'm missing in cyberpunk so i can make sure my guide's up to date but like there was enough updates needed that i didn't have enough space on my hard drive and at that point i'm just like you know what i'm just gonna uninstall and just not worry about it (laughs) so uh eject eject yeah, basically. So it's the uh, I, I I will wait until I don't know. I don't have a set date. I'm just gonna wait. I have no inclination right. to read to. Like, not with the right CD now. Project Red. They don't have a set date either. <laughs> yeah. See. Do, do, do you think we're gonna we're due for a new time a cyberpunk timeline a roadmap soon? I I can't wait to see the 2022 <laughs> roadmap. Oh. Even no more updates and improvements. <laughs> 
Here's another one that will likely land in February, maybe later for us. Uh, I don't know if anyone's really interested in this, but I shouldn't lead off like that. How 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 rude of me. Oh, negative. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I'm so excited to hear what this is now. Uh, Crystar will release for Nintendo mm-hmm. Switch uh, in spring 2022. It's releasing. Are you excited, on- George? Oh, yeah, that yeah. looks nice. I, I just remembered one of our staff writers who wrote a review of it, and he didn't really like it much. Thanks so. for responding, George. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say. I, uh, it wasn't George. It makes me instantly think it was of Lucas. the Bryce Star. You know, the, the old, I think it's a Sega one. You're thinking of Rice Star. I mean, it's it sounds similar. I can understand. Uh, I mean, I love it. <laughs> All right, so okay, okay, so here's some context. Lucas reviewed the game back in 2019, did not think very highly of it. That review's up on the site if you're interested. The Switch port, I don't think anyone expected, but it's kind of at this point, like, why not? Enough of these kind of uh, smaller focus games seem to kind of overperform on Switch. Uh, overperform is a weird way to put it. They do well on Switch. It seems like it's kind of like a, a good just marketing uh, avenue. And so, why not? They Nice America must have decided to release on Switch because I feel like it's a good opportunity for them. It'll come out next year. Maybe we'll see if someone's interested and take a look at it. And maybe they'll come away with a better impression <laughs> than we did on the original release. So we'll see. George, are you excited? <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, Name me uh, one thing about this game at, at all. Name me one thing about this game at all in your, in, without looking anything up. NIS America. Oh, God. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. It, ha- it, ha- it, it has nice art there. <laughs> Anime ish art? Yeah, well, it's specific. I, I, I can't speak like in artsy terms, but it has a specific style of anime art that looks nice. Uh. So I, I can't I can't get more. Yeah, anime, sure. You're just third eyes opening. It's like, ah, yes. <laughs> nice anime art. Christ. <laughs> okay. Uh, here's another one for February. This is a, a bit of a different sort of game. This is King Arthur Knight's Tale. This is a tactical RPG that was in early access for the greater part of next year. Or, sorry, last year. I remember when this game entered early access. Uh, at least my, I don't know about the staff email, but my email got several requests to try to cover it. But early access is kind of just like it's a hard sell to cover because everything's so in flux um, unless that's like the specific focus of your outlet. Uh, but it's re- releasing it's exiting early access, releasing in full on February 15th, 2022. I, I do like tactical games. I do like those sorts of more strategic turn-based grid-based sort of, you know, experiences. It's just that the setting here does nothing for me. It's like a super grim, dark. When I think of King Arthur, I kind of think of like, you know, Knights of the Round Table, you know, that just just very generic, you know, sword in the stone fantasy stuff. Not but this is like Grand Order. Damn it. No, I, I was don't. about to ask. I was about to ask Chow. OK, like in comparison to your viewpoint, Chow, what do you think about King Arthur when you hear King Arthur? And he was already ready to go. Like, God damn it, Chow. <laughs> always, always two steps ahead. But th- this is just looks like really like grim, dark, grungy. Like it's not I don't associate King Arthur with the sort of art style they have here and so do you think about like the disney king offer the one with the sword and the stone yeah that's one that, i do think of that i play that. I, I, I i do think of like some of those like late 80s tv shows or whatever like i don't think i think of it as kind of like somewhat whimsical like high fantasy sure but with like a degree of like whimsy or 
or like a little levity to it. Like maybe or, the third or fourth things I think of when I think of Car- King Arthur, because my 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 brain has been poisoned. All you fake Grand Order fans, or or whatever, I don't know. I don't know. I, don't know I always about. think of like watching the King Offer stuff. It's always like a bloodbath. That's for me. Like I watched that '80s movie. Does anyone remember the '80s Excalibur movie? That was like a bloodbath. If I remember. I think of Monty Python. Yeah, with the black see, I, I, I do think of that too. So that's kind of <laughs> like where where this is more like we treat this seriously. But uh, it looks it looks kind of it looks competent, but it just doesn't like the setting and the stylist the stylings of it don't really grab me. But Maybe it's going to be the, game of the year for all we know. You know. Yeah, but yeah, next February, it'll have to compete with Elden Ring. So I'm sorry, sure. uh, King Arthur and Neocore Games. Has to compete with what else? What else? Relayers, February. Cyberpunk's next gen update. <laughs> <laughs> oh, is Dying Light also February? Yeah, it wasn't that was supposed to be next month, wasn't it? Oh, delays. Dang, yeah, February fourth. All right. All right, we're we're out of the February release deluge. Uh, a couple sales updates. Uh, Monster Hunter World has sold 20 million units. At, at this point, it's kind of like, what is there left to say? We, You can probably pull up old podcasts where we're like, wow, 12 million, wow, 15 million, wow, 17 million, up 20 million. So obviously a big milestone, insane. We won't say wow this time. We'll say, whoa, 20 yes. million. <laughs> no, we, we almost seem bored by it at this point. It's like, okay, stop, stop buying it now. <laughs> yeah, so... You, uh, whenever Adam covers these sorts of sales updates, he's usually trying to be like really careful. Like, is this shipped, sold through? Does it include like collector's editions or, or whatever? Like this one, some of the context here is that we did learn back in May of this year that it was at 17 million, but now it seems like they're also including the master edition units, which was the box pack that included World and Iceborne. You never quite know exactly like how to incorporate like people who really try to divvy up like how they arrived at the final number. I guess my take is is that if you're like if you're being that particular about like how did they arrive at 20 million it's like it's at 20 million damn it <laughs> so yeah uh, I, I mean and honestly like you can nitpick all you want about how they got there like at the end of the day this is the most successful game out of Japan that, that doesn't have Pokemon or Mario attached to it or I Animal put- Crossing yeah it's like this is like literally outside of Nintendo, which is it's whole like a whole different ball game. Like half the time they're not even playing in the same industry as the rest of like video games. This is the most successful game out of Japan, like just straight up. It's ridiculous. And I remember like before it came out that people were like, oh man, if it gets to 10 million, that's like the pie in the sky idea. And it's like doubled it. Yeah. And we did learn back in May of this year that Rise had sold 7 million, obviously limited to one platform. So I do wonder like what the final totals are going to be for that once it also arrives on PC cuz it's yeah, I don't think Rise will meet World. It, it clearly doesn't seem to have the momentum for it, but it's still like it seems like the success of World has basically elevated the potential for every other game in the franchise going forward. Just I think that rise will at least hit 15 million i think a yeah, lot of people are surprised. underestimating just like 
World was already super popular on PC, but World was also like a pretty heavy game to run on both GPU and CPU. Whereas Rise, like even just playing demo, you can be like, yeah, this will run literally any PC. And that means that the target audience for people playing Rise is like on PC specifically, it's gonna be so much more higher because you don't you won't need a top of the line PC to play it at a good like resolution frame rate. I still and, wonder what a what a, what a world two looks like, and I'm sure Capcom is thinking like, or already in the planning stages, like what 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 does a sequel to World not rise? I mean, like you know, because Rise is more like old, somewhat older Monster Hunter games, but like with the world structure, what does a sequel to that look like? It does. It does wonder like what they have in mind to try to catch lightning in a bottle twice. Because, like, how do you one-up that? It's you, you can't guarantee that everyone that played World is going to want to move on into World 2 or Monster Hunter 6 or whatever they end up calling it. So it'd be interesting to see exactly what approach they take uh, once they're ready to reveal that. Battle on the Royale. Flip side, though, on the flip side, though, like, when <laughs> World came out, like, the number of people that had played Monster Hunter in the West was so much smaller. I mean, it's not going to be as hard to get people interested in World 2 because, obviously, so many people loved, like, World 1. Um, mm-hmm. if they're even if they're even as a fraction as successful as bringing new people in and they have the carryover from the huge world audience it has a similar potential i yeah. imagine they would, they would keep the world brand on it too because that, that's yeah, i imagine so yeah 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 all right a couple other smaller announcements to close out the podcast here uh here's another next gen performance patch that released this week uh this is for dot nods vampire vmpyr the 2018 action rpg so uh it got a uh next gen patch for playstation 5 and xbox series x that increases resolution and frame rate so has anyone here played vampire nope Mm, i heard like mediocre i heard it was like okay i remember kyle's review of it and impressions on it that's not what i remember of vampire (laughs) yep so Unfortunately, we can't talk to it at length, but it, it, it does seem cool that like a little uh, experimental RPG from a few years back, uh, the, the the developer at Dot Nod and Focus Home as the publisher went back and said, you know what, we're going to release a, uh, this was kind of a surprise announcement where they're just like, here's a next gen performance patch for Vampire for for that audience. So I do, I do just appreciate that kind of holistically or whatever. So Josh added a few things to the podcast doc here. So tell me about Haunted Chocolatier. Oh, Haunted Chocolatier is the new game by the Stardew Valley creator, uh, Concerned Ape. It looks, you know, not, it doesn't look exactly like uh, Stardew Valley, but it is like that RPG sim style, like uh, overhead view um, type of game. Uh, it like I don't know exactly like exactly like the specifics about it, but they talk about like the gameplay loop. It involves gathering ingredients, making chocolate, and running a chocolate shop. Which is awesome. That sounds great, but you know it's still the early stages of development. They already don't, there's no release date. They kind of release some screenshots, some footage. You know, Stardew, Va- Stardew Valley, one hell of a fucking game. So, you know, uh, it's, there's a lot to be excited about. And you know, there's a there's a novel concept behind it. I want to run a chocolate shop. That sounds great. I, I, I do kind of like that. Where it's like, how do we adapt the farming sim aspect, which is so ubiquitous, and how, what what do what do we do to, to to tail off from that and like have a similar approach? Why not a chocolate shop? Just is it like haunted as well? Well, based on the title, it seems like it. Oh yeah, 
I don't know how obviously. <laughs> I, just, I, I, like, uh, I, I don't know. Right. I, I don't know, George. You tell me. <laughs> all right, I, I'm looking at like the press release to see like why is it called Haunted Chocolatier? Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, okay. The very first line of the press release: uh-huh. In this game, you will play as a chocolatier living in a haunted castle. Checks mm, out. That's okay. the one. There you go. <laughs> All right. There you go. That is that is in an inspired setting. I don't know. You you have to be pretty creative to come up with that. So I don't know. Sounds fun. Yeah. I mean, that's it. Uh, we'll, it'll it'll pop up again when it pops up. But it's it's cool to see. Um, you know, just this is such a weird thing. I love it. I do like how a uh, casual, um, concerned apes like diction is in his press release he's like so far i've been working alone on this game i have no plans to get anyone else involved <laughs> uh, i can't commit to a release date sort of stuff he's just basically like yes i'm Go working away. on it I want, <laughs> i'm working on it i want you people to know about it but please don't ask any questions yeah so, he said like the it's only been in development for a little over a year uh they've said so yeah it's gonna they, they've already confirmed it's gonna be entirely single player no plans for multiplayer and they're only committing to a pc release just for now And finally, we have a news bit on here that Josh threw on here at the end. Uh, Fantasy Life Online, a mobile RPG from Level 5, is getting a Western release thanks to Bolt Rend games. Yep. Uh, what, 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 other, what other games did Bolt Rend bring over? The uh, Disgaea RPG, Ark the Lad R, and, Ark the Lad, uh, that's what I was thinking of. and the Fantasy Star Saga, whatever game. I, I think that's what they brought over. Uh, this is a really like weird one out of nowhere. The Fantasy Slife is kind of like a like a sim, more RPG sim type uh, of game. Um, you have like uh, like twelve classes in it. It's kind of like living off the land type stuff. Um, I'm. It's kind of a weird one because like you know the, the whole level five's Western presence has basically been all but diminished. Uh, in the in the you know throughout the years, especially with like you know them closing down their U.S. offices and whatnot, and with no there's like no plans of level there's no future for level five in the West. It feels like as much as I want like you know Megaton Musashi to get local localized because that looks interesting. That's the giant robot game coming from coming like to the PS4 next month. I think it's also coming to Switch. I forgot, but um, yeah, and this is. There's just an, uh, one that's been developed by them. It's nice to see that they at least found a partner for yeah, the last. It's, weir- it's weird that for level five games, they're like the one name that if we see that attached to a game, we're like, well, guess we're not seeing that one. So even at least in this yeah. very small in this small way, we're like, oh, uh, I guess I guess maybe in certain cases it's still possible. In this case, though, it's uh, Bolt Run bringing over uh, this mobile sim. But I, I wonder. I wonder how difficult it is for them to like find like external partners to like release their stuff like i wonder if there's any sort of like behind the scenes discussion to like bring megaton masashi to the west for example like i don't know that must be really hard did anyone that... play the 3ds version fantasy um, life i remember seeing it i never i don't think i've ever played it though how uh, did you play it no, I was just wondering if anyone has. Considering we got a lot of big 3DS lovers yeah. out there. So that how, many, how many Fantasy played. Life games have been there? Like, I'm not too too uh, sure of the lineage. I've, I've definitely heard the name before, but I'm not too familiar with the 
though the, 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 the 3ds game the mobile port and then a sequel that was also a mobile game from what i understand okay huh did people like those games well it must be they made multiple games yeah the 3ds game i remember people liking it but they also said that eh kind of a <laughs> they liked it of, but they didn't <laughs> Yeah, it was like one of those games like earlier on for the 3DS where it's like, yeah, this is a nice game. It's nice to have something to play on the system. <laughs> one piece of news that I accidentally skipped, but I want to make sure we catch here at the end, is that we did get a slight bit of marketing from the upcoming Pokemon Legends Arceus uh, and a bit of a fun little trailer and reveal. They, they use like this found footage style of of trailer to basically detail some more regional Pokemon in the Hosui region. In this case, um, Zoroa and Zoroark. So in the mountain snowy region of the, of this new ancient Sinnoh or whatever, just we've, we've, we've already seen that they've done this with a few regional variants in this game. So they're just kind of, you know, piling onto the list. So pretty, some pretty cool stuff there, but uh, we're, we're kind of in full swing for, for marketing for Arceus. The, the one January release, I guess, other than Monster Hunter Rise on PC. So well, I'm assuming we'll kind of see this doled out over the next month as they... So didn't want to skip over that. It was on accident. But other than that, that covers us for this week. Uh, thank you for listening. As always, uh, all the news that we talked about is up on the site. And we do try to keep all of our game pages up to date. If you look on our sidebar on our website, what all the release dates are. So we mentioned a whole bunch of delays and release dates for a bunch of these games. Uh, Adam also does keep RPG lists for each year. If you just search RPGs of 2021 or 2022, uh, he does excellent job keeping those up to date. So whether it's closing out this year or opening into next, you'll be able to try to time out exactly what your plans will be for the upcoming months. You can always visit our Discord by going to our website and clicking the link at the top of the homepage. We are on all the social media platforms. Uh, just search for RPG site on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, or Instagram, and we'll be there. But once again, thanks for listening. Stay safe, take care, and we'll talk to you next week. Video games are here almost again. <laughs>